This morning, just two days after Christmas, my sermon text is taken from the book of Titus. Titus was a a man who was a leader in the church, and he um, traveled with Paul some, and uh, Paul was his great defender. Uh, He was a Greek, and um, there was an issue at one time of whether or not uh, Titus should be circumcised to be considered part of the Christian family. Remember, that was an issue in the time of the New Testament. And, uh, and Paul stood up for uh, Titus and said, no, you just let him be. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. And he became uh, a strong leader in the early church at that time. So let us listen to the words uh, from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. This is a letter that, ch- that Paul wrote uh, to Titus while he was uh, leading a church. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He it is who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. And then from the first uh, letter of John to the young church, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Let us bow for a moment of prayer. Loving and gracious God, our hearts continue to be filled with joy as we are in this season of Christmas continually celebrating the meaning of the gift of your son Jesus into our world. We're aware that there are many that have not heard the story of salvation, or if they have heard it, they have neglected it or been uh, tone deaf to what you say to us in this story. And Lord, we pray that you will open up their ears and our ears and our hearts today to have a deeper understanding of what it means to receive this your most profound gift. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Some 21 years ago, 1994, there were two Christians who were invited to teach children who had been abandoned, abused, and left in the care of a government-run orphanage in Russia. Christmas was near, and so these two missionaries uh, went and told the Christmas story to about 100 boys and girls who were there in this orphanage. And throughout the story... And many of these children were hearing the story for the very first time. They were absolutely 
mesmerized, many of them sitting on the edge of their seats because of the compelling nature of the Christmas text. And when the story was all done, the children were then given a little exercise to do. They were given materials and invited to build their understanding of a model of the manger scene. And so they worked on that, and the teachers were amazed at what they were coming up with, and they were particularly startled to see that one little six-year-old boy, whose name was Misha, had put not one but two babies in front of himself in the manger scene that he had made. And the children, they were, teachers were intrigued by this. They'd never seen this before, and so they asked him why. Well, he stood proudly, and he crossed his arms in front of him like this, and he was looking intently at his manger scene, and he began to repeat the Christmas story word for word with remarkable accuracy until he came to the part where Mary put her baby in the manger. And then he said this. He digressed a little off the texts. He said, when Mary laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me. And he asked me if I had a place to stay. I told him I have no mama and no father, so no, I, I don't have any place to stay. And then Jesus told me I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't because I didn't have a gift to give him like everyone else. But I wanted to stay with Jesus so much, I thought about what I had that I could use for a gift. I thought maybe if I kept him warm, that might be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, will that be a good enough gift? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that will be the absolute best gift anyone has ever given to me. So I got into the manger, and then Jesus looked at me and told me I could stay with him Six-year-old boy just heard the gospel story for the first time. That little Russian orphan had finally found someone who would never abuse or abandon him, someone who would never let him go, someone who would never let him suffer in the cold all by himself. Most of us are looking for that someone. Most of us need that kind of certainty because we live in an awful cold and dark and turbulent world. And that young Russian orphan had it absolutely right. And what he said was profound theology about the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. The one whose birth we celebrated just two days ago is God's complete unrivaled, immense gift to each one of us. And our best gift to God is to get beside him, to receive him with humbleness and gratitude and joy and openness. We know that at this time of year, even two days after the great, great birth, there are people who refuse to believe in the truth of Christmas. They, even so, they find themselves searching for something. They're filling their deep need with all sorts of stuff. And they may not even know 
what it is that they're searching for or what their deepest need really is. Even those who refuse to believe in a Savior find themselves in their alone moments watching from their windows for an angel, some kind of messenger that is going to break through the darkness and make some kind of announcement that will be good news to their circumstances. We all understand what that feels like. We're all a lot like Misha, needing the presence of the Prince of Peace, thirsting to know that we are not alone and that God will bring to our cold hearts the warmth of his gracious love forever and ever. This reading from Titus announces with joy number of years after the Savior's birth that, to quote Titus in verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God. Do you know what that Greek word means, grace, that we translate grace? It can also be translated, and its root meaning really is, gift. So the grace, the gift of God, has appeared. And it's a gift to be opened and received, not just one day a year, or one during one season of the year, but a gift that is opened and received over and over and over, a daily experience that results in a transformed life. Titus indicates to us in this great text that there's another aspect to this gift. Yes, it's warm. Yes, it's wonderful. All those good feelings that we have when we were at worship on Christmas Eve and anticipating who Jesus is and how he will be born in us again today. But there's something else about this gift that God gives. This gift has a challenging, demanding dimension to it. He goes on in verse 12 and he says it leads us to renounce impiety and worldly passions and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. In other words, this gift invites us into life change. And I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this verse in his wonderful translation, The Message. He says, God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation is available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. I don't know for sure, but maybe that gives us a little bit more insight into uh, the reason behind the angel coming to Mary on that night so long ago and announcing the birth of Jesus that was going to take place. And you remember what he said to her? He said, do not be afraid. God says that a lot to us in Scripture. Do not be afraid. And we are all afraid at times. And sometimes we're afraid of life change. Oh, yes, we love the idea of the, the, the baby Jesus, and we sing, what child is this, and so forth and so on, and we love those warm and traditions and all the rest. But when we think about what that means for us, the life change that God is calling us to, 
what may be the ultimate result of this new birth that we are receiving into our lives, maybe we get a little nervous because we wonder how it's all going to play out and what God is going to ask of us. And so we remember the words of the angel, don't be afraid of that because you're about to embark on an amazing journey that will lead you to become the person that God called you to be when he first thought of you. I think that's what Titus is saying. This joyous and wondrous birth is a great challenge to us. Our world should not be the same after this gift. You know how we often say, especially to young couples, if we've already raised our children and we see young couples with a new child, my niece gave birth to a child uh, in August, her first child, and she was there with us when he celebrated Christmas. And it's always so cool to have a baby with you in the family at Christmas, isn't it? You look at that baby and you think of Jesus. And, and, and my mind, I don't know about you, but my mind goes all kinds of places when I hold that baby. And I think about it in the, in the context of the Christmas story. And we often say to, our, to, uh, to those who have just given birth, we say, you know, this, this child is going to change your life forever. Change your life forever. This marvelous gift. And sometimes a child brings to us gifts that we don't even understand or know that we need or could ever imagine or want. We sometimes say children are a gift from God. True. But many of us have had children, haven't we? And we've raised children. And we know, having gone through that experience, that sometimes in the gift of children that God gives us, we get gifts that we have not expected or asked for or even understood that we needed. Our lives are changed. Often these children that are born to us, they bring blessings to us that we could never have imagined. They are what we really needed in the first place. And Jesus is that kind of gift. In Bethlehem in the first century, people thought, thought that what they needed and had an understanding of what they thought they were expecting and looking for in a Messiah, was a great military leader. Strong leadership. Assertive leadership. We hear that from the politicians, don't we? We need stronger leaders. <coughs> and, and certainly people in Jesus' day were looking for strong leaders, and they were looking particularly for a military leader who would help the people raise an army and drive the hated, oppressive Romans from the land. There were other people who expected a strong religious leader, someone who stuck to religion and stayed out of politics and, and social issues, someone who quoted scripture, had inspiring, uplifting things to say that might help everybody get through another week and feel better about life and themselves. And there's a lot of people that are looking for that kind of leader even today. I mean, after all, isn't that what religion is for? Right? Isn't religion uh, a bit of inspiration? Help you feel better about yourself and your place in the universe? Get through another week? That's what religion is supposed to do. It's supposed to help us feel better about our circumstances without demanding any kind of change. But that's not the gift that God gave when he sent us Jesus. 
what these folks who had all kinds of expectations for that birth, what they really got was Jesus. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. What they received was a Savior who would, yes, be a Prince of Peace, but he would also be a disturber of the status quo. He would be a courageous critic of the religious establishment. He would be a leader who would speak truth, and he would call his people to a movement that would change not only their lives, but the lives of the world itself. This is the gift. This is the gift that they got, even though it was hardly the gift that they prayed or expected or asked for. And it is true, and we've seen it all in our lives from time to time, that many of the things that we thought we most needed or most wanted were not the things that we ought to have. And many of the desires of our hearts are not what we really need. And if we had the time, we could spend time sharing stories about that from our own journeys of faith. The good news is that God knows what we need far better than we do. And in a world that worships power and success and prestige, achievements, celebrity, raw force, look how God gives his gift in this tiny baby, vulnerable, gentle, utterly dependent on a mother's tender touch and loving care. I thought a lot about that when we had our family Christmas. And I saw my little niece, whose name is Tegan, and I held her, and I looked at her, and I bounced her on my knee a little bit, and I watched her smile, and I saw her cry, and all the things that babies do, and watched her sleep, and I thought again of what an amazing God we have, and how remarkable the story is that God becomes flesh in a baby like this, vulnerable, gentle, totally dependent on his creation. And this same God will relentlessly pursue us with his unconditional love and grace. And when that baby grew up, because we know the rest of the story, he became for many even less of what they wanted. We know that, don't we? We know that people quit following Jesus. Now hung around him for a while because he was giving them some things that they really liked having, like being healed and things like that. But after a while, he started saying challenging things, demanding things, asking things of them. Let go of your life. Give it up. Follow me. And they quit following because it was too hard and too difficult. He challenged many conventional notions about who God was and what God wanted. He called people from their smug securities and toward a life of daring boldness and adventure. Jesus turned human beings, our, our, our ordered world, our carefully controlled lives, he turned all of that upside down. And in the end, we know 
that the people, the very people who had once worshipped him as a baby, the very people who he came to forgive and save and love and be with, they took him, this most precious gift of God, and after torturing him, they nailed him to a rough wooden cross. And even today, they are people who crucify him over and over and over, who reject him, who think ill of him, or who are simply oblivious of God's greatest gift and find him irrelevant for the modern world. So what does God do with that? Does God abandon his people? Does God abandon this world? Does God say, well, they had their chance and they blew it? No, God does what that little boy Misha understood of God. He stays with us. He keeps pursuing us. He keeps giving. He keeps loving. He keeps speaking truth. He keeps hoping that every one of us will embrace the Christ child more and more and more in our lives and that our lives might be fuller <coughs> and fuller and fuller with his grace and truth. God keeps on giving. That every person might become, that you and I might become, because you know God is not finished with us. I know that sounds like the, the trite cliche that back, when was it, the 70s or something, used to be on bumper stickers, God's not finished with me yet, and so forth and so on. But it's true, isn't it? Think of where you were five years ago on your journey of faith and think of where you are today. God is constantly giving, new, bringing new birth into our lives and shaping us and molding us. So here is this gift that God keeps on giving. This child that we cannot ignore or dismiss or refuse. He will give his life for the sake of his creatures and his creation. And none of us will ever earn or merit or deserve such a gift. We know that. This child, <clears throat> both comforting and demanding, the one who John says we have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears and we have handled him, he's tangible to us, he's visible to us, <clears throat> this child will teach us and stay with us and give to us everything that we could ever need. Sometimes bring to us things that we didn't even knew we needed and certainly didn't want, but will be for our good and his glory. And like Misha, that Russian orphan child, hopefully we will have the courage and the strength and the vulnerability and the trust, the enormous trust, to allow not the Jesus we want, but the Jesus that we need to wrap us in his loving embrace. Embrace us now and forever that we might live God-oriented, God-filled lives. May it be so for each of us today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, through the story of a little, little orphan child who heard the gospel for the very first time, we gain these insights of what it means to hold you and to be held by you 
And we recognize, O oh God, that <clears throat> reassuring as your love is, it is also demanding. It calls for something deep within our spirits. It calls us to let go of the management of our own lives and to give our very selves, our heart, mind, and will over to you that you might give to us all that we will ever need. And so, oh God, help us once again to embrace this greatest of all gifts, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.